0: Hello and welcome to the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast where we'll identify and explore ways that we can become the best humans we can be. Compassionate, wise, loving, confident and courageous. I'm Reverend Dr. Arvid Strauby, your host, and I've been helping people grow spiritually for more than 40 years. I've been a congregational leader, a trained spiritual director, and a meditation coach, and I'm a lifelong student of spiritual practices and traditions. Today's episode is entitled, Life Hacks from the Buddha. So, what did the Buddha actually say? Well, it's a little bit controversial, but the oldest Buddhist scriptures we have are what is called the Pali Canon, and they are in a language that was what the Buddha spoke. It's a dead language now. It's related to Sanskrit. Now, these teachings of the Buddha were written down several hundred years after he lived. He lived about 2,500 years or so ago. But, They're probably pretty accurate because people in those days, especially the teachings of the revered leader and teacher, people in those days were very good at memorizing. And these scriptures in the Pali Canon are repetitive, which is a mnemonic device that allows people to remember. So I'm going to talk about some of the life hacks from the Buddha, and we're going to go straight to the source of the Pali Canon to start. So first of all, I'm going to talk about the ancient scripture around the teaching, and then I'm going to do a little bit of commentary for you so that you will, at the end of the episode, have an idea of life hacks from the Buddha that are still relevant to the 21st century. The first life hack of the Buddha comes from the teaching of right thought. And the ancient scripture reads, Mind should be inclined thus. Others will adhere to their own views, hold on to them tenaciously, and relinquish them with difficulty. We shall not adhere to our own views or hold them tenaciously, but shall relinquish them easily. I don't have any tattoos but if I were to get one, it would be the phrase, don't believe everything you think. The Buddha summarized his teachings in what he called the, eight, the ennobling eightfold path. These were eight practices which the Buddha taught as a way, a path to the end of suffering. It'd be worth your while to look up some teachings about the Eightfold Path if you're not familiar with them. But one of the first is right thought. Right thought. In my work as a spiritual director where I help people reflect on their life through the lens of their spirit, their deepest yearnings and passions, people, of course, share with me Uh, struggles they're having in their life, and very, very often, those struggles have to do with repeating and self-defeating thoughts, and when I bring up the idea that, you know, you don't have to believe those thoughts, that comes as a new idea for people, really? Because, you know, we identify with our thoughts, But the Buddha taught that those thoughts are, while they are real, they are not necessarily, or very often, true. While they may feel real, they are not necessarily, nor very often, true. Really, they're just the result of conditioning, of habits of thought, grooves in the mind, if you will. And they just keep coming back. They keep coming back. Until we bring awareness and compassion to them and see how insubstantial and transparent they are. It really does matter what we think, though. You know, because thoughts lead to actions. Actions lead to habits. And after a while, those habits create character. So it behooves us to cultivate wholesome thoughts. This is the the language of Buddhism, uh, the wholesome thoughts. The first is friendliness and goodwill toward oneself and others. Wholesome thoughts of compassion for oneself and others thoughts of letting go, of difficult thoughts, thoughts of ill will, thoughts of fear. So we then monitor and transform these unwholesome thoughts. And you know, modern cognitive therapy is using these same insights to help people heal their thinking. You know, the... Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the unconscious as a full of seeds. And there are seeds of wholesomeness, of compassion, seeds of wisdom, seeds of friendliness, seeds of goodwill. And when these arise, we should welcome them. See if we can repeat them. Notice them. Strengthen them, nurture them. But then the thoughts of fear and ill will and other unwholesome thoughts can arise and we can heal them but not believe them. So, and one of the things that we need to be willing to let go are our thoughts and opinions so much of our identity if we look closely and meditation and other practice can help us with this if we look closely at the at the things we believe they're part of our identity but they may not be true so there it behooves us really to ask is this true this thing that i believe this thing that i think i know how do i know how do i know it's true have i just repeated what other people think is it just part of my tribal identity political tribe ethnic tribe whatever there's a saying that the third is attributed to the third zen patriarch do not search for the truth only cease to cherish opinions The Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, who I talked about earlier, wrote, Do not be idolatrous about or bound to any doctrine, theory, or ideology, even Buddhist ones. Buddhist systems of thoughts are guiding means. They are not absolute truth. Be very cautious, I would say, about absolute truth. You know, what we think is true, um, cognitive scientists are now discovering, is subject to just a whole lot of distortion, a whole lot of preconceived notion and habits of thought. In Buddhism, the difficulties about these thoughts come from motivations of ignorance, which doesn't mean not knowing, it means not wanting to know, greed or grasping. And delusion. And a lot of this is just cultural conditioning, stuff that we don't know, we know. It's really daunting to think that almost all war, terrorism, and oppression in the world is perpetrated by people who are 100% sure that they're right. Are there any thoughts that you're 100% sure you're right? Look again. That can be dangerous. Because people are willing to kill and die for thoughts and opinions that we can base our identities on. Is this true? How do I know? The second teaching by the Buddha is about generosity. This is another life hack that increases happiness, and there's really a lot of research uh, that's currently being done in social science that is proving the benefits of generosity. So here's the ancient scriptures. There are five gifts of a good person. What five? Five. He gives a gift out of faith. She gives a gift respectfully. He gives a timely gift. She gives a gift unreservedly. He gives a gift without injuring himself or others. So I invite you to do a a, saw, a thought experiment with me. So close your eyes if you feel like it and just bring to mind the stingiest person you know. Think about that person. And now, check in with your body. What does it feel like to remember this person? It doesn't feel good, I would conjecture. Now, think of the most generous person you know. What does that feel like? I would conjecture that it makes you feel good, light, maybe brings a smile and a good memory. All great religious traditions recognize generosity as an essential practice for spiritual growth and for developing our true humanity. The reason is that, you know, we are all... We all start out as really self-centered. And if we stay that way the rest of our lives, it can lead to a lot of misery, fear, and defensiveness. Growing and maturing, especially growing and maturing spiritually, is to let go of this self-bound ego, the sense of separateness and isolation, the sense of threat of others in the world. And we give, when we give... Materially, when we give of our care and compassion, when we give of our attention, even our thoughts of goodwill to people, when we give generously, it loosens those bonds of, e- of separateness and isolation. And it is the, the most direct means of creating happiness for ourselves and others. Think back to the thought experiment you just did. Now, the Buddha talked about three levels of giving. The first is tentative giving. Now, right now I've been cleaning out my closet and I'm really familiar with the impulses behind tentative giving. It's like fearful giving. It's like, you know, I haven't used this thing for years, but I might need it. There's this sense of grasping and contraction there. Worried that we're going to regret that we gave it away, but we finally do. But I finally did. The second level of giving is sibling-like giving. This is giving out of joy, of affection, giving because happily because it's needed or could be useful or could bring happiness to somebody you care about. Sibling-like giving, giving, taking satisfaction and meeting the needs and wants of others and most rare of all the buddha said is royal giving this is giving that is effortless and spontaneous in fact royal giving you don't care you give out of the out of the generosity of your heart and you don't even care whether your gift is acknowledged or not But here's the interesting thing. You know, because we're human and imperfect and bound by our egos, the Buddha said that all these levels of giving are good. All of them are good. Even the tentative giving. So just start where you are. Don't judge yourself. You're human. We're all human. We all experience fearful giving and sibling-like giving, and maybe even royal giving. So start where you are. So here's an experiment you can try if you want. For a week, give in to every generous impulse you have, not just money or other material things, but compliments, expressions of affection and appreciation. Time. Give in. Give in to every generous impulse you have and start right now. Then see what happens. See if your heart is not lighter. The third and most complex. Of the life hacks of the Buddha that I want to talk about today is right speech. Here is the ancient scripture. And what is right speech? Abstinence from false speech, abstinence from divisive speech, abstinence from harsh speech, abstinence from idle chatter. This is called right speech. False speech, divisive speech, harsh speech, idle chatter, and staying away from those. That's what the so-called news <laughs> is all about. Harshness, false, uh, harsh, uh, idle chatter, divisive speech. It's really hard to overemphasize the amount of suffering that we humans cause each other by unskillful speech, and we all do it. But it does seem to me that it's been getting a whole lot worse in our cultural climate today. Our moral atmosphere is being more and more polluted by misinformation, by hate speech, by angry and harmful speech which is leading more and more to actual violence against groups of people based on their ethnicity, race, or beliefs. And we are, all of us, victims of the so-called outrage industrial complex. These are people... The outrage industrial complex is run by people who make money by stoking our outrage because that brings our attention and our eyeballs to that media. Now, you may be thinking that this is a problem of the other side of whatever political divide you're on. But look, it is not limited to one side. And you know... We have to be careful now. We expect politicians to lie. We expect salespeople to lie. How many lies do we hear or read before breakfast, counting commercials, news releases by various governments, agencies, and organizations? In order to be happy and protect the well-being of others, the Buddha taught us to practice skillful speech. And he identified three kinds of speech that are particularly unhelpful. And the first one, maybe the hardest struggle with, it is for me, (coughs) it's gossip. You know, why is it that we run other people down when they're not there and spread things that we're not sure is true? Well, you know, we get people's attention. It creates a bond with the people that we're talking to, but, you know, it's important that we pay attention to what we do in casual conversation because words are powerful. If you say something disparaging about a person who's not there, you are subtly or not so subtly prejudicing in a negative way the relationship that your listener has with that absent person. There's the ancient story of a woman who comes to confession and confesses that she's a a gossip. And the priest says, before I give you absolution, I need you to do something for me. I need you to take a feather pillow, go to the roof of your house, cut open the pillow, and let the feathers fly with the wind and then come back to me she did when she came back the priest says now go and get every single feather that the wind took away and she said but father that's impossible and the priest said that is gossip that's a really powerful image You know, the Buddha said, not just to say nothing disparaging about another person that's not there, but don't even talk about people that are not there. That's a little hard to do. But maybe we can just stop talking about people who are not there and spreading things that that we're not sure are true. So the first is gossip. Very difficult. Idle speech. The second is dishonest speech. And here, we're not just outright lying when we're conscious of lying, but also the kind of half-truths that we say because we're embarrassed to tell the whole truth or innuendo or, my favorite, exaggeration. You know, bullshitting basically to ourselves and others and self-deception may be the most harmful speech of all so you can see how difficult this and lifelong this practice of right speech is for us flawed human beings it's there's always room to work and learn is the good news here because there are so many levels of this it's kind of hard to be scrupulously honest Right speech needs to not only be honest, said the Buddha, but also kind and helpful. Helpful. It has to be true and helpful. We've all known people who use honesty and frankness as a sadistic weapon. We know people who use it as a way to express contempt to voice sarcasm, to nitpick, to criticize. That's not helpful. Finally, skillful speech is both necessary and timeless. Sometimes we do have to admonish someone. Sometimes we do have to set a boundary. Sometimes we have to keep people from hurting us or themselves, if we can. So these are the words of the Buddha about how to admonish someone. Before admonishing another, one should reflect thus. In due season will I speak, not out of season. In truth will I speak, not in falsehood. Gently will I speak, not harshly. For his benefit will I speak, not for his loss. In kindness will I speak, not in anger. We've shared today some of the life hacks of the Buddha. You've been listening to the Keys to Spiritual Fulfillment podcast with Reverend Dr. Arvid Strabi. If you enjoy these podcasts, you might want to think about sharing them with others or rating them so the podcast will get heard by more people who can enjoy them and benefit from them in the same way you have. In the meantime, let me respectfully remind you that life and death are of ultimate concern. Time passes swiftly by and opportunity is lost. Wake up. Wake up. Do not squander your precious life. Bye.